I was kind of wondering, though, um, how, how are you handling these times at home? Because we, we make a lot of decisions at home about, you know, about our marriage and our family and our finances and all that. But probably it's been a long time, if ever, where you've had to make these decisions about your home with your family, spending 24 hours a day with your family. So that's changing things a little bit for everybody. Uh, and we make a lot of decisions. Several years ago, we had the Flynn's over to our house after church. We we're still in a trailer. So it's been a long time ago. The kids were little. And we built a fire and was going to have some hot dogs. And this nasty storm card coming in from the west. I mean, it was nasty. It looked like Mondays. And Angie said, we better put it in. We got, we got to pack it up. I said, that's nah, going to blow over. And she said, honey, I'm telling you, that's bad. Well, the trees started getting crazy. And a couple of sprinkles of drops. She said, go. We got to go in. And the kids said, daddy, is it going to storm? And I said, it's going to blow over. Well, about five minutes, it blew over. And so I was going on and on about how wonderful I am as a meteorologist and talking about how I knew atmospheric pressure and all that kind of stuff. And I, I've only seen this two or three times in my life, but the thing turned around. Have you ever seen that? It started back. And when they come back, I don't know if it's a tail or the whole thing, but here it comes again. And then she says, we got to go in. I said, ah, it's going to blow over. Blew over once. It's going to blow over again. It didn't blow over. Hurricane force wind. We had rain horizontal. The kids are running and screaming in the house. Lightning hit the trailer, blew out the back of the TV, set the curtains on fire, blew up the washer and the dryer and the telephone, all this business. And the kids are crazy. I mean, it's nasty. So we packed everything up and went to Plainfield, spent the night with my mom and dad, a couple of nights while they fixed everything. And she yells at me just as the things quiet down. I told you we should have gone in. She had to say it loud because, so I could hear her. She was in the bed and I was on the couch. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, I didn't say anything. I knew it'd blow over. <laughs> now, are things just blown over at your house? Are you just letting them? Because I'm telling you, the decisions we're making every day with our families, life-changing. And if you make bad ones, it can affect your marriage, your kids, your finances. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8, people who ruin their lives, ruin their lives by foolishness. I want to talk about family a little bit this morning. We haven't done that for a while. I was reading a little Kyle Eidelman last week. I don't know if you remember him or not. Southeast Christian Church, the kid is a genius. But it got me thinking about King David because there's a story we're all familiar with, a family story that we don't have to read both chapters in the Old Testament because we know most about the story. And I got, we could talk about that a little bit this morning because you talk about eye-opening and educational. You look at David's family. This is something straight out of Jerry Springer. I mean, it's a mess. And it's hard to put those two things together because when you first read about King David, he's a shepherd boy, and the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. I mean, who wouldn't want that title? And then just a few chapters later, he's committing adultery and then covering up with murder. And you're thinking, how, first of all, how did I get in the Bible? And second of all, how do you put those two things together? And then the Lord enters the picture, and you see grace, and that's what it's always about is grace, because there's grace everywhere you look. It's a wonderful story. But I love the question that Kyle writes in his book. He says, if the walls in your house could speak, what would they say? That's a good question. You know what I mean? I mean, a, a, a very good question. Because David's house was a mess, and his family needed a lot of grace. And it's my suspicion that your family needs a little grace. I know mine does. If the walls in your house could speak what they said, I'm glad the walls in the house can't speak. But if they could, would they tell the story of a happy house where you're laughing and joking and having a good time all the time? Or would they tell the story of a house where it's griping and hollering and fighting and bickering all the time between the kids and the family and the mom and dad and everything. 
Maybe you grew up in a house like that. Mom and dad fought from the time you got up till the time they went to bed at night. And you were thinking, I'll tell you one thing, when I grow up and I have a family, I'm not going to live like that. But you do. You fight all the time. Maybe you said, well, I'll tell you what, when I grow up, I'm not going to be invisible like my dad was. I'm not going to be a pushover like my dad was. But that pretty much describes you to a T. Maybe you grew up saying, well, I'll tell you one thing, I'm not leaving my family like my dad did. I'm not walking out on my family like my mom did, but all of a sudden now you're, you're thinking about that because things change. Listen, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Marriage is tough business. One guy said marriage is made in heaven. The other guy said that's right, but so is thunder and lightning. I mean, it's nasty sometimes, you know. David uh, Palak was talking about a wedding he did, and he got to the ceremony where he's doing the vows, and he was talking to the guy, and he said, do you promise to love her uh, for better or for worse? for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health. And he said, no kidding, at that time the wife said, would you stop it? You're going to talk him out of this. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it's funny one way or the other. I mean, if you have a sense of humor or you're awake, it's funny. (laughs) But I do know that when we made our vows to each other, we meant it at the time. We didn't have any idea of the changes that were going to happen. You didn't have any idea that the economy was going to tank. Money was going to go south. It never crossed your mind that COVID would come on the scene and change everything like it has. You, you had no idea that after you got married, she was going to struggle with depression, especially after the kids. You, you had no idea that there was going to be a special needs kid thrown into the mix. It, it never crossed your mind that you would start being attracted to somebody you work with and that it would be mutual. You never thought in a million years that he would stop being attentive to you after so many years. You didn't expect that she would just get to a place where she didn't care how she looked anymore. It's tough. It changes. And so the question, if the walls in your house could speak, is a good one. Would they talk about courageous commitment or would they talk about broken promises? I would have loved to have had that question posed to David because I bet David in his wildest imagination didn't expect his family to end up as ugly as it did. I want to start uh, with the scripture uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, and by the time we get here, David's grown up and he's king already. And it just reads like this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites. They besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. David remained in Jerusalem. That, that's an oops. It's springtime. The kings are supposed to go off to war, the Bible says. David didn't go. He sent the men. He stayed at home. And one night he's in the palace, and he decides to go up on the rooftop to get some fresh air and to watch the sunset. He knew exactly what he was going to see on that rooftop. He knew it was bat time. That's the time of day. He knew from his perspective he was going to get to see all the rooftops. You understand what I'm talking about, gentlemen? He woke up in the middle of the night. He flipped on the TV, he turned on HBO and Cinemax. He knew exactly what he was going to see. He can pretend like he's shocked, but he knew what he was going to see, and that's exactly what he saw. He saw Bathsheba, and she was gorgeous. And so he asked his servant, hey, who's that woman right there? And his servant said, that's Uriah the Hittite, his wife, David. That's his wife. That's the guy that fights with you in the battlefield. You guys, you know the story, David, brings Bathsheba into the palace, and They have an affair, and she gets pregnant. I mean, it's terrible that King David would do this. But now he's got to cover this whole thing up. So he comes up with this brilliant idea. 
And he calls Uriah back in from the battlefield, and they're going to spend a few days strategy. And he figures why he's home. He'll sleep with his wife, and then everybody think that's his baby. What he didn't count on was Uriah's integrity. He said, I'm not going to sleep with my wife while the rest of my friends are out there in battle. So he slept on the porch. Now David's in panic mode because he's got to maintain the image that his family is perfect and his marriage is perfect and everything's fine in his house. Aren't you glad we don't do that? Aren't you glad that we don't act like we have the perfect marriage and the perfect kids and the perfect family? Now, I say that in tongue-in-cheek, but I don't say this in tongue-in-cheek. I love you all, but I'm going to tell you this. Nobody here has a perfect family. None of us. We've all got problems running around someplace. Let's just get it out in the open. And there's no sense in acting like we don't. Back to David. He's desperate to try something else. So he sends Uriah back to the battlefield, remember, with that urgent... uh, a note for the commander. It's kind of ironic because he, he was carrying his own death notice because when the commander got it, he opened it up and it said, I want you to send Uriah the Hittite out in front of the battle in the next battle and then withdraw and let him die. And that's what happened. And then Bathsheba went into the palace and became his wife. You're thinking, how, how did this happen? This is King David, a man after the giant slayer, a man after God's own heart. And just when you think it can't get any more Jerry Springer than this, You keep reading the story. Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar, which is David's daughter. Absalom, her full brother, finds out about it, plots to murder him. took two years, but he finally killed him. That started an all-out war between the entire country and David and Absalom. And David finally has Absalom killed. I mean, this family falls to pieces. How's this happen? See, a lot of times this happens... And we don't even know it because it happens in a moment. And this one moment, if you could have changed, you could have changed everything. And we need to remember, we are filling our lives with these moments all the time at home and the way we talk to each other and treat powerful, important moments going on constantly. It's one of the reasons why this story is in the Bible, so we can see the grace of God and also so we can learn something from it. You know, so many times I have people come into my office, and they're having problems. And let's face it, by the time they get to my office, they're big problems because nobody wants to come to the preacher's office and air their dirty laundry unless it's really bad. And I normally listen to the story, and and I ask, how did we get here? Where where did this happen? And you know what I always hear? We don't know. I don't know. I mean, things were really good, and then he just left. I mean, one minute it was right and good, and the next minute it was wrong and she was gone. And like every family, David probably had several moments where if he'd have changed them, things would have been different. But he woke up one day and it's just over. These moments are important. Be careful with these moments at your house. There's one moment in particular that changed their life forever. In 2 Samuel 6, something happened there that changed the course. You probably remember the story of him defeating Goliath all the way back from flannel graph days in school. But do you remember the sweet deal that King Saul offered anybody that beat the giant? It's in 1 Samuel 17, 25. Anybody who defeats this giant, he said, will get great wealth, lifetime tax exemption, and also get to marry Saul's daughter, Michael. So David beat the giant. He got great wealth, lifetime tax exemption, that'd be awesome, and he got to marry the princess, and things are good for David. Things are good at home, they're good down at the office, 
you know, they're good with the army. And then he brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. Remember that story? If you've not read that for a while, read that. It's awesome. He throws this big, glorious praise party for God, bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. It make our prayer and praise nights here at church I look like, you know, it's on steroids. And, and I love verse 14. It says, David disrobed and danced before the Lord with all his might. I just get a picture of him dancing before the Lord. But verse 16 says, as the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from the window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Yeah, she's ticked. Evidently, she's a little embarrassed that he's doing this with the slave girls. Evidently, she has forgotten one of the most important job descriptions of a, of a husband. Don't forget this, ladies. One of our most important job descriptions is to embarrass you. She's forgot that. And he's embarrassed her, and she is ticked off. And so get, you get this picture. David's had probably one of the best days of his life spiritually. I mean, he has glorified God to the top. He's on the mountaintop, and he comes in the house, and this is what she says to him. Listen to the sarcasm. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. Great day. He comes in. He's had a wonderful day, and she starts in on him. Well, you know how this works. You're married. You've been a family. If you're not married, you're in a family. She attacks him. He attacks her back. In fact, he brings other stuff into it. Verse 21, he says, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or somebody in your family that I danced before. So now he's bringing the in-laws into the picture. When you're having a fight with your wife, that's a real smart thing to do, to bring the in-laws in. This is cold, man. This is colder than a mother-in-law's kiss. I thought I'd bring I, You know, I wanted to bring... Because I look like I'm losing some of you. I, I knew you knew this story, so I'd tell you. Uh, here's what's going on. Michael saw this. She's not happy about it. And for her, the story ends here. Verse 23 simply says this. Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. In other words, they probably didn't sleep together again. Relationship's over. And we don't ever read about her again in the Bible. And the question is, why in the world would the Bible put this story in? Two chapters. Why? And why give a play-by-play description? And why in the world did I spend our sermon time talking about this? Because we've got to see the moment. Those moments are huge. And we're playing them out every day at home. And how you're talking to each other, how you're talking to the kids, those are big moments. And things would have changed drastically had he looked at that moment and changed it. What if he'd included her? What, what if he had of danced with Michael? What, what if she had of encouraged him? Instead of criticizing. What if he had been so defensive? What if they had have partnered up instead of attacked each other? Get this. What if one of them had have apologized? Said, I'm sorry, I didn't see it from that perspective. Let's go in a different direction. What, what if David had a fought for the wife of his youth with the same passion and faith that he fought the giant? Things would have been different. Again, it's the little moments. We, we want to point back to the big one. We, we make that mistake. We think, well, this all started back here on the rooftop with Bathsheba. No, no, no. It happened all the way back here in the little moments, the way they talked to each other, the way they treated each other. We do the same thing. We had a big storm come through Monday night, nasty storm, blew some trees over in the front yard. I bet somebody said, look what this storm did. The storm just ripped that tree out of the ground. No, it didn't. That tree's been leaning for years. 
That tree's been decaying from the inside out for years. The storm was just the final straw. The storm just blew it over. See, we do the same thing with our families. We have this big moment when everything falls apart, and we want to point to that moment. It's not that moment. It's all the little moments in between that set all this thing up. And I think we can learn from this very quickly. Just three or four lessons, and we're going to get down here to the table. Number one, when there's a conflict in your marriage or your family, figure out what the issue is. I mean the real issue. I mean, why is she mad? Is she mad because she didn't get invited to the party? Is she mad because David didn't dance with her? I mean, he didn't even bother to take the time to find out what she's mad about. What's going on at your house? Why, why is your wife mad at you? Why is your husband being so moody? Why are the kids coming home and acting the way they're acting? Find out what the issue is so you can deal with it, which leads to number two, find a good place a quiet place for the difficult conversation. Listen, he comes in, fired up, best day of his life, and she starts in on him. He should have been mature enough to say, hey, babe, we're not going to talk about this right now. I haven't even got my coat off yet. Let's just calm down. Let's, hey, let's, let's have dinner, help the kids with the homework, put them to bed, and then we'll talk about this. Find a quiet place to have the conversation about whatever the issue is. Thirdly, stick to the issue. He brings the in-laws in. Second breath into the thing. And we do the same thing. We start having an argument, and we start bringing stuff up from last week, last year, five years ago, 20 years ago. You, you guys know the illustration. You deal with the snowball while it's up on top of the hill, while it's still a snowball. If you let the thing roll down the bottom of the hill, it picks up leaves and sticks and rocks, and it's this big by the time it gets. You deal with the snowball when it's up on top of the mountain. Find the issue. Have a nice conversation about it. Don't bring anything else in on top of it. And then lastly, start with the positive. When you start your conversation, be positive about it. Listen, it, I understand she didn't like him dancing like he was, but she could have started different. She could have said, hey, babe cakes, those were some fine dance moves, but I'm not sure about the loincloth, you know. But instead, she just attacked him. All he wanted to do was impress his wife. Ladies, we want to impress you. That's our job. And if we don't, she wasn't impressed. She criticized and nipped at him. It's the crazy cycle. We've talked about it before. The Bible commands women to respect their husbands. And the Bible commands husbands to love their wives. And if you're not doing that 100%, what happens was she withholds a little respect, and all of a sudden you take a little love, and at first you don't even notice it, but then you notice it, and so she withdraws a little more respect, and you withdraw a little more love, and before you know it, you got this big, crazy, nasty thing going. That's what's going on here. So stop the criticism. Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, it's better to live in a desert than to live in a home with a wife who likes conflict. In other words, men, if your wife is one of those ladies where every time you open your mouth, she's on on you, it's better for you, he says, just get dressed, walk out in the desert and die. Amen? I mean, that's what he's saying. And he says, ladies, this nagging, this criticism, this is what he says, is like a constant dripping, drip, drip, drip. He says, you're waterboarding your husbands with criticism. And gentlemen, it's time for us to step up our game. We're the leaders in our home. We got to bring Christ alive, especially today. We got all this time on our hands. We ought to be leading devotions. We ought to be making sure the Bible's getting read. We ought to turn off the iPads and the TV and all the games and do a little Christ uh, adventure once in a while as a family. And we ought to be loving our wives like we're supposed to, gently and sacrificially. 
and wonderfully. And ladies, I just want to remind you, nothing's going to squash that any quicker than being negative and critical because we want to be your knight in shining armor. And when we're not, it kills us. It drains us. So men, you need to be the spiritual leaders in your home. And ladies, you need to be the encouragers of your men. So they can be. Okay, so Michael, she's critical and nagging. We get that right off the bat. But what if, guys, what if David had taken just a minute to listen to this instead of just nipping right back? What if, now don't hit me for this, what if he had apologized? Hmm? Ephesians chapter 5 says that we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. <laughs> Whoa. How did Christ love the church? Sacrificially? unconditionally. When they were throwing stones at him, whipping him, hanging him on a cross, he still loved them. But the biggest part of the love of Christ, the one that makes the difference to us in the end, is that he was the reconciler. He was the pursuer. And if you and I are going to love our wives the way Christ loves the church, we got to be the reconcilers in our home. We got to be the pursuers, which means once in a while we got to say, I'm sorry. That's hard for us. I bet Angie can count on one hand how many times I said, I'm sorry because I'm never wrong. I mean, you know what I mean? But that's it. When we fight, that's the way it is. We get in an argument, I'm right, and she's right. Isn't that the way it goes? Let me just tell you something. I'm about done. I love you people to pieces, but I, I, you know, I'm, I've dealt with most of you in here on some pretty intimate levels, and I know some of you are really sharp people. I mean, some of you are some of the sharpest people I know, but I'm just going to tell you, nobody's always right. None of us. And gentlemen, we need to constantly remember that relationship is much more important than being right. And we need to just go. We need to be the reconcilers. I tell you, if this had happened, there, there wouldn't have been an affair. You don't have an affair with somebody else when you're crazy about your wife. You, you just don't. It doesn't happen. You know, we've been in the ministry 36 years. We've been married 36 years. And two times in 36 years, just two I mean, I, I hug everybody, hug them all, let God sort them out. I love everybody, but only two times in 36 years has Angie come to me and said, watch her. She's coming after you. Two times. That's only happened two times. And both times she was right, and it never even occurred to me because it never crossed my mind. I, ever. I'm crazy about my wife. It's never, an affair has never crossed my mind. My, our marriage isn't perfect. I told you that. But my wife's almost perfect. And she has held me up as a warrior and encouraged me and moved me on, helped me out front. Wives, we need that. Gentlemen, we need to lead in our homes. I got to get, I got to quit. It always leads back to the table. Isn't it funny that every Bible story leads back to the table? You know why? Because the entire story of the Bible is a story of redemption. And that's where we got to get. And, you know, I, David's life turned around. I mean, I, if he could have hit the rewind button and done some things differently, I know he would have, but he couldn't. But I know his life and his entire family got redeemed. You know how I know that? Because you fast forward to the New Testament and Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse in the New Testament, which is introducing Jesus Christ, which is the most important thing in human history. People have been waiting for decades centuries, millenniums for this introduction. Do you remember how Jesus is introduced? Jesus, the son of David. Are you kidding me? The Redeemer, the son of the redeemed. 
Our Lord can redeem anything, any family, any person. If he can fix that family, I think what he can do to yours.